The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On round one, music teacher Michelle Morrow also happens to be a finalist in the People's Voice Award competition. We held on to her. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator and host of Free for All Fridays. And Toronto City Councillor and Budget Chief Shelley Carroll is here. Let me just quickly ask you, you probably weren't able to hear the mayor because she was on the air while you were coming up the stairs. Yes. Um, but she kind of, I don't think I'm telling a tale out of school, she almost rolled her eyes when I mentioned this business of $5 million from the feds in order to put people at uh, Exhibition Place. What's your reaction? Yes, we've been very clear about how very much is needed. Our Really, our entire shelter system is utterly and completely overwhelmed right now by, by federally admitted uh, asylum-seeking refugees. And we have gone from spending in property tax dollars property tax dollars have gone from spending a little under 200 million a year to 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 uh, partner in in the shelter system with the other orders of government to now over 700 million in just a couple of years and so largely it's the impact of of that that new tenant the the asylum seekers and we have been very clear about what we do need and 5 million really is i know that for all of us 5 million sounds like a lot but it is a drop in the bucket of what we need to get through the next year. The Rainbow Bridge explosion had a lot of people wondering, could it be terror? And it turned out it was not. But unfortunately, the timing didn't work out for Pierre Polyev, who decided to say the word in the House of Commons. That was called by a security expert we spoke with in the last half hour, a blunder. Uh, Amanda Galbraith, you're all about messaging. I mean, there would have been ways for Pierre Polyev to pressure the government for answers about that incident without getting into the idea that Canada was being invaded. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think we can argue what he did say was there are media reports that this is terrorism, which, by the way, is what we were all talking about yesterday. So I think certainly it's it's incumbent upon our leaders to be cautious in how they characterize these things. What I would say about, you know, Pierre Polyev, whether you you knew you like him or, or not, is that he he tends to say what plain, like regular people are thinking, what's on the minds of people. And he was sort of saying, hey, Canadians are worried about this. Um, what are you doing about it? Uh, I didn't find the question and the tone overly partisan, to be candid. Um, I think it was the same question I had. Um, I think if you're prime minister, there's probably a different threshold in how you respond. I thought the prime minister responded really well. So I think this is a bit of a tempest in a teapot. Um, and I think actually our government functioned exactly as it should yesterday. So both to the opposition and to the government, they asked questions, the government responded. We got lots of information, which I think at the end of the day is a good thing. Yeah. Michelle Morrow, generally the media doesn't report what it doesn't know and hasn't confirmed. Fox media jumped on the terror wagon very, very early. I still think it was careless of the leader of the opposition to suggest it was terror, terror and then frame the question around the idea, like, what are you doing to protect Canada? Michelle. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm doing everything I can, John. <laughs> um, I think um, I, I think I'm, so I'm in line with Amanda in some states in the fact that I do think uh, Polyev is known for like speaking the being trying to be the voice of the people. But I think as a person somewhat high up in government, I feel as though he also should have realized that there are certain things that we cannot release to the public right away. There are certain informations that um, may be gathered by the RCMP or in the case of the states, the FBI or CIA that can't necessarily be released to the public until it's been confirmed. And we don't want to be um, sending out information that we haven't verified. And so as much as we were jumping on the 
fear train of it being terrorism. I think we were right to sort of wait to hear something from the prime minister about it. I wish that perhaps Polly Everett had said something maybe not in the house, because I understand he wants to know, but I feel like he could have done a better tactic than being like, you're not telling us everything you know. Shelley Carroll. In the first minutes, I don't think he should have been asking a house question at all. If you're a leader of one of the three main parties, then you should be getting a briefing about what is going on very quickly. You know that there is a high-risk situation, and you know what's being done. And so you don't politicize it in those early minutes, because you, you, what if it was a terrorist attack? You don't throw it into the house and, and risk inflaming it. You, you wait to, to, to hear what you can say. And I, I believe very quickly they would have uh, been told what you can and cannot say. By the time Governor Hochul was talking about it, she was speaking knowledgeably on the basis of what she'd heard from the authorities. But any leader should know the authorities are on it right now, and you need to give them those early minutes. There's a senator in Ottawa, Bernadette Clement, who says she was afraid to go home because she was getting so many horrible uh, social media comments and phone calls to her offices all this in the wake of former Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer creating a wanted poster like in the Wild West. And it listed her picture and her office phone number. And I'll start with you, Shelley, since you are a person in office uh, and, a, and a woman in office. And I think that informs this story. She's also black. Um, how much of an issue is this? Well, you know, nobody ever minds uh, um, someone saying, um, you know, call your MPP, call your senator, whomever, uh, uh, about an issue issue is when you start to use the frame of, you know, the dark web, the alternative web, the, the wanted poster and the, the uh, you know, it, that, it rings of hang Mike Pence. And so it's that graphic uh, element that you got to avoid. And, and certainly some of the stature of Andrew, Andrew Scheer should have known that it might engender that type of behavior. Michelle, this just sort of seems to be how people comport themselves these days. Somebody says, you know, I'm all mad. Here's the person. You need to do something about it. And that person ends up getting death threats. Yeah, I, um, I, I think the did he do this in order to make a point to try to convince someone to change their mind? Or did he do it simply as a publicity stunt, which is what I'm leaning more towards. And I think that's what we're pulling away from in politics and in life is that we'd rather make a point than try to find a conversation and find common ground with someone. Putting this up, was that going to change Clement's mind? Not in the chance. Was it going to do anything except inflame the story? No, it's, it was just going to make it worse. Um, but we do have to I think also keep in mind that she wasn't doxxed no information was given that is not found publicly it was her office phone number but i understand how she might have been uh very scared to see something like that and again going back to what christy blashford should say we should just get rid of the senate burn it to the ground burn we don't it to the it. ground yeah <laughs> yeah she, she never quite clarified as to whether or not she wanted the senators to be inside when that happened oh no not inside i'm not going that far just take the building down and get rid of them all right amanda your thoughts I think people have to be really careful about how they engage in social media now. Um, I'm seeing it a lot with clients uh, that just did, you know, I think since Elon Musk took over Twitter candidly and a lot of this stuff is being led on that platform, you know, things that you could have done a couple of years ago that maybe wouldn't have been cited, um, you know, this kind of doxing as we call it, um, it, it just, it's it's a really dangerous place. Um, and candidly, I think Andrew Shearer is, an adult who knows better than to create wanted posters about his colleagues. So I find this candidly disappointing, juvenile, 
and um, and wildly inappropriate. And it always surprises me when I remember he used to be the Speaker of the House, so you'd think he'd be above this sort of thing just by nature. Uh, big box stores, some of them are getting out of self-checkout. There are multiple reasons. One is that people cheat on them or shoplift with them. Also, some people just think of them as hostile. And actually, let me start with Amanda Galbraith, because you advise companies about their public images. Um, how do you see this phenomenon breaking out, or are they here to stay? I think they're broadly here to stay. I mean, you're seeing some stores where literally there's no checkout. There's just like a security person and the thing will automatically, like, you know, they recognize your face and you can check out that way with your, your account. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, I welcome having both options. I tend to pick self-checkout just because it's faster. Um, but I think companies, you know, when this first happened, obviously there's a big cry about workforce and how people are going to do their jobs. But um, it's increasing. We're automating, you know, low-skilled positions. And I think that's going to continue. Um, but, you know, if folks want that kind of personalized service, they'll have those options and people can uh, vote with their feet. Shelly Carroll, I like a, a live human person at checkout, mostly because they know the difference between a turnip and a rutabaga. Yeah, and that, you know, I kind of, I, I resent them. I, you know, you, you want to have that human. But the other thing that I resent is when you hear people sort of low-key, yeah, I forgot to swipe that, wink, wink. You hear it, uh, particularly, you know, among people who, who probably probably don't have a lot of money and so it happens, but and they think it's just, it's it's owed them. But I'm, I'm meanwhile scanning every item. And when they began, we were told, we're not taking humans away. They'll be watching, but this will reduce the lineup, but we'll still have have humans there. But nowadays, you go into some some stores, and it's all self checkout, and there is no human keeping an eye on things. And that's when I actually consciously think: while I scan in every item, how many people standing around me are scanning every other item? I resent that I'm paying their bill. Well, and Michelle Morrow, with the risk of my providing people with intelligence in order to uh, rip off a retailer, one of the things I'm told people do is they say that every bit of produce is a carrot. So it could be, you know, tomatoes that are three bucks a pound, but you put a carrot in, which is 99 cents a pound. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to sort of work your way around the self-checkout if that's what you want to do, right? Um, there's always going to be people who can cheat the system. But the way I look at the story is it's really a, um, a business manager of a store looking at what his community wants and what he thinks will benefit his community. So if he feels like removing these will not affect his business, perhaps even boost up the business, will give more um, entry-level jobs to people, will give people a chance to interact because, unfortunately, loneliness is uh, becoming more and more of a problem, then I say more, more power to it. I feel like we are always really, when someone wants to make a big change um, in what could, people could see as going backwards, getting rid of self-checkout, is seen as a really bad thing, whereas I'm like, isn't this just an example of capitalism? If it's going to work, it's going to work, and if it's not, then he'll go back. We're probably headed for AI checkouts where uh, the minute you put it in your cart, they're already charging you for it and you just walk out the door and that again gets rid of humans and that breaks my heart, but they, they maybe just make them way for that. Jokes yeah. on us. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the era when AI will decide what we're going to buy and leave it on the front porch. And you'll <laughs> discover and go, that's right, I needed a blender. Um, let me ask you something, Shelley. The uh, Financial Accountability Office says governments could save $1.1 billion a year if we made roads, hospitals, schools, and stormwater pipes more resilient to climate change. Aren't we doing that already? We are, in large part. But it's good, it's good that they're bringing it up and talking about it now. 
actually quantifying it. You know, we're we're on the budget uh, uh, roadshow tour, the mayor and I right now. And and I did have a gentleman say to me, he was looking for places to cut, and he said, well, "Here, 19 million on climate and and uh, uh, energy efficiency. Cut that. If you're short of money right now, you can't do that." Well, that's where some of this design lies. And then what goes on is the is the it's time to replace this water pipe. So how do we replace it? That's when you do your climate change adaptation. And we do have to do it. And we do get help from the other orders of government with it from time to time. And uh, uh, it's in your water rate. But the reason we do it is so that your basement does not flood with sewage. And, and we've, we've made great gains in Toronto. We have cities come here to look at some of our adaptation projects. Good to confirm that. Almost no time on the clock. But Amanda Galbraith, something that Shelley just said was interesting in that people seem to think anything environmentally friendly is some sort of a frippery as opposed to a necessity. Yeah, and I think, you know, the water main is a great example, right? Like, we've all had water, seen water mains break in the city and gotten furious that it's not working. I think it behooves the city to to understand that as flooding, climate changes, we're going to deal with it. So, yeah, they need to spend the money on it, unfortunately. Thank you all. Good to have you. Amanda Galbraith, Shelley Carroll, and Michelle Morrow. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.